From understanding the news of today to explaining principles which will last a lifetime, you're listening to the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, equipping pastors and church leaders across rural America and beyond to meet the challenges of ministry while advancing the kingdom of God in your local community and in our world. Hello, friends. This is Michael Bond, and I'm joined by pastors Mel Massengale and Todd Stanley. Hi, and guys. Hey, hey. We have a very special guest with us today, Pastor Brian Kelly. He leads the Hope Center, and he is the he, he's one of the, in, I would say, inestimably valuable combinations of mental health professional and pastor. And, and I'll just say this before we uh, get to Brian. I, I think that if more of our pastors were mental health professionals and more of our mental health professionals were pastors, uh, all of us would be much better off and everything would make a lot more sense. And so, Brian, I'd like to ask you, uh, what made you decide to get into mental health? Um, good morning. I don't know if it's morning when you're listening to this or not, but anyway. It's morning for us. It's so. morning for us. It's, it is, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very early morning for us. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, how did I end up getting into mental health? I, I got saved in 1989, and once I got saved, I just God did something to me, and I wanted to be involved in anything that I could be involved in. And I ended up, myself and my wife were volunteers with Teen Challenge. And Teen Challenge were starting off a centre in Ireland and we worked with them for about two years, 18 months to two years, and we got really burned out in it. Um, not anybody's fault. There was just a bunch of people who didn't know what they were doing, including us, but just wanted to help. We had no boundaries, no skills, no anything, just heart and trusting in Jesus. And God's grace was amazing and kept us all safe. But at the end of it, we had nothing left. Um, and we met some people who had trained as professional therapists um, and we had some conversations with them and it just seemed like a route that made sense at the time. Um, and it, it opened up to me. I, I, honest to God, it was God's grace. He just opened the door for me to go and do this training session. And um, I remember doing the very, it was two weekends. The, the initial, it was a basic week in reality therapy. That was the name of the course that I did. And it was the first time as an adult I had ever gone back into education because I left when I was 15. I left school when I was 15 and just worked in factories. And the best job I ever had was a sales rep. I wore a suit and, a, and had a car. That was probably the best job I ever had. <laughs> Up until I changed life down because I used to get washed when I came home from work and then I had to get washed to go to work. So it was a totally different <laughs> ballgame. But anyways, um, and I also used to look at people like who are counsellors and I think, I, I, I could be a therapist when I'm 70. Age isn't going to come into that. All the other jobs I had was physical. Um, but anyway, I got the chance to do this weekend and something ignited in me that very first weekend. I'd never been back in education. This was my first experience as an adult. I'd left school thinking I had no brains because that's what I was told. Um, and I got saved and two and a half years later, God let me do this. And this sounds sacrilegious, I know, but I was more excited about that course than I was about getting saved. I didn't realize the value of what salvation meant. I knew God had changed my life and I knew in my head, I'm going to heaven, I'm not going to hell anymore. But when you're 30 and you're thinking, heaven's a long way away. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm not going to do it when 60 yeah. or 70. Yeah. At that stage, I thought, anyway, I'm not going to do it when 60 or 70, which I'm 60 now, so I'm going to, maybe I won't do it yet. Not this morning, anyway. That wouldn't be good during <laughs> the podcast. You wouldn't. Um, <laughs> but there's like, anyways, so what, what this gave me, though, was God gave me 
he had given me the scriptures and I was reading the scriptures, but I wasn't understanding them. I'm being honest with you. I read Proverbs and it was a load of wisdom and in a load of sense, but I couldn't translate that into my everyday life very easily. But this program <coughs> gave me two things. It gave me person. It gave me the option to take personal responsibility, gave me the option to make different choices in my life. And then it gave me the option that I could live from a space where I wasn't a victim of the world anymore. And... Um, and again, I, I don't want this to sound like the gospel didn't do that for me. It did. But this was just an added layer that just made so much sense to me. Sorry, long, long answer to a short question. That's, That's no, how I yeah. ended up in mental health. <clears throat> how, how much crossover did you notice, at least from pastoral ministry and working professionally? Because you work professionally in mental health in a secular context. Yeah, I do. But yeah. you're able to use the skill set from both arenas to mm -hmm. complement each other. So like, yeah. like how, you, how you'd said that the gospel did this for you, but having these other skills was I, I would say it's almost like a necessary or it's it's a vital ingredient to well-being and you articulated um, the connection between personal responsibility and mm -hmm. mental health can you unpack that a little bit more for our listeners like what 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 do you mean by that I um what I learned was that that I had lived for a long time thinking I was a victim of life circumstances I, it was where I was born, where I grew up, the education I'd had, the family I came from. And they're all major impactful forces in all of our lives. They form us and they set us up and they give us a narrative that we then live out of. Mm. Um, what the gospel did was gave me a different narrative. Mm. Mm -hmm. What what the, the learning in mental health, and, and, and I went into mental health training to become a mental health professional yet, but, but I actually learned more for me Mm -hmm. And it was from that space then I was able to interact with other people. The same as with the gospel. When God saved me, it was easier for me then to share that with other people. Yeah. yeah. Rather than it's like it's not um it's not theory anymore, it's practice. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um and it was the same with what I learned in the mental health training. Uh, sorry, I'm kicking the table. Um when I learned that in, in that training, it was like, how do I apply this to my life? All right. Mm -hmm. So I was married um probably married twelve years at that stage. We got married in 81, so this was 93, going into 94, 95. Um, and, and Anne took, Anne had to take responsibility in our marriage because I didn't. Hmm. We had two kids. If they asked, could they do something? I'd say, ask your mammy. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, now, that's a classic Irish thing. <coughs> Irish men were not great at, at, at doing this. Um, but, but I had never learned to take responsibility. I didn't know. And, and the, the thing about it was I was afraid of the consequences. So if I said to my son, yeah, you go and do that, and then it went wrong, yeah. Anne would blame me. Yeah, That that was where I was at, okay? Yeah. Um, and I wasn't in a position mentally, emotionally, or physically to take that blame. I just couldn't handle it. Um, so what the, the program taught me, and, and, and I was getting this from, I was getting this from the scriptures, I was getting it from the gospel, but I think God just needed like maybe I was I was just a bit like slow or a bit thick or whatever it was. God wasn't getting through to me. So we thought, he's not listening to me here. I'm going to tell him from this side as well. Mm -hmm. um, so when I was getting this kind of message in stereo, mm -hmm. it started to get in. Um, and, and the whole message was, if I take responsibility for me, which in, in gospel terms is if I surrender my life to Christ, okay, and let my yes be yes and my no be no, then I'm going to live a much more stress-free life. Yeah. Then if I'm living in that space of anxiety and afraid of what everything else is going to do, I'm afraid what everyone else thinks. Um, now, this is a process like this took years. It wasn't 
it wasn't something that, that happened overnight. Yes, there was light bulb moments, but you get light bulb moments, but then you have to walk them out. Yeah. And it's the same with the gospel. God sets you free in a prayer. You walk up the front and someone, and you get to pray with somebody. They then have to get up the next morning and go and walk that mm -hmm. out. It's not, it's not so simple. Um, so it was a long process for me. I'm 63 now, so that's like 30 years ago. It was 93 when it's the first time I went to a, co a, a program like that. I got saved in 89. So it's like 30 years, literally this year, since since I went and did that training. Sorry, I can talk. So you, you want to jump in there and say. So, so you had mentioned um, that you had started out with this narrative that was, so, so the perspective that you had of being a victim to life mm -hmm. circumstances was the consequence of a narrative yeah. and the gospel and the scriptures gave you a different narrative. Yeah. That I oh, think is an absolutely crucial point. And so one of the things I've just been dying to ask you this really Go since I was at your workshop. Um, and so I want to know what you think about this and uh, guys feel free to jump in on this because I know Mel, you have experience in this arena and so do you Todd. Um, <clears throat> now I want to make a series of assumptions that lead to a question. And if you agree with the assumptions, I want to know your answer to the question. Um, so let's say, for instance, that the narrative that is underneath everything else that is you, that's like the narrative substrate or the bedrock of belief, mm -hmm. this thing informs your perception. It builds your perception. Yep. And your perception mediates between you and experience itself, or you and what's outside of you, what's happening to you. Yeah. And because your perception mediates between you and what's happening to you, it it causes you to interpret your experiences in through either right through the filter. And if you get that wrong at the level of belief, then literally you see a different world and you experience a different world and it, mm -hmm. it can hurt you in ways that it probably shouldn't. Or it can you can um, approach something approximating what I would call the mind of Christ or mental well-being which would be, from my estimation, a an actual one-to-one -one view of what reality actually is. Okay, so I don't want to get too technical on that, but do you agree with the assumptions going from the bottom up with the bedrock of belief and perception and experience and all of the rest? If you agree with all of that, my question is, is it possible then that having errors at the level of belief can lead to something like a diagnosable mental illness? Yes. That is, that is, that is probably one of the most important ideas that I think pastors, church leaders, mental health professionals, Christians, people mm -hmm. can mm -hmm. understand, can talk about. I, th I think you need to be careful when, when you go down the road of talking about diagnosable mental health illnesses, okay? Because while things like what you're, what you're speaking about, the assumptions, the we would call them core beliefs. In, in the world that I live in, we would call them core beliefs. They're not core spiritual beliefs or religious beliefs. They're beliefs that we hold about ourselves. as. They're our identity beliefs. Yeah. Who we are, what we are, what our place is in the world, or do we even have a place in the mm -hmm. world? Um, mine was I didn't have a place in the world. So that's, right? So when, when you live out of those for long enough, I think they can inform a human being enough that they end up moving into things like schizophrenia 
Um, and listen, I'm, I'm not a, a psychiatrist, so I'm not coming from that angle. You need to be very careful about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there will be people out there, other professionals who will disagree with us. But actually, the whole world of mental health professionals are different opinions of mm-hmm. what works and what doesn't work. So some people are very pro-med, some people are very anti-meds. Um, some people have, have beliefs that you're, just, you're born this way and there, there's genetic things. And, and, and I genuinely think there's probably truth in all of that. But from where I'm coming from, I have worked with people who, and I've worked with people from from a pastoral level and also from it from a mental health level, um, where they have moved past diagnosis, like say bipolar, um, which used to be called manic depression. So, people who would go from like the pits of depression where they'd want to kill themselves to total manic highs. All right. Yeah. Most of those people I knew were the most like, creative people that walked the planet. But they didn't interact with the world the same way everybody else did. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So the world tried to box them up and go, you don't fit. So there's something wrong with you. Like um, Vincent van Gogh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like a perfect example of someone, if you look at his case study, manic depressive, but a believer. Mm-hmm. Do you know, um, painted some of his stuff because of the beauty that God was showing him. and But the world couldn't handle him. Do you know? Um, so sorry, uh, I, I think they can, I can, but you just need to be careful if somebody has been, and I don't want somebody going like, all oh, right, okay, so I'm schizophrenic because someone said this to me 20 years ago. That may be what brought you to here, but you still need to deal with your reality for where you are here. Right. And chanters go, that's not going to be there anymore because I've now realized of that. that that's a process. Yeah. Does that make sense? It's not, it's not <clears> a, <throat> a magic bullet thing. That's, yeah. that's the bit I've learned. There is very few magic bullets when it comes to trying to bring somebody from a place of despair into yeah. a place of hope, it's it's a process, even with God. Yeah, and so what we're what we're not saying here, because there is tremendous hope, I think, in what you're saying. What we're not saying is that once you're already at the point of diagnosable mental illness, that it's just a matter of correcting your beliefs, and overnight, bam, you're fine. But <laughs> but 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 yeah. but what we might be saying, and this is, I I think most people they just aren't understanding this like they're not connecting with this idea what we might be saying is that if you take belief seriously from the beginning Mm -hmm. you make yourself less vulnerable to the probability that you'll develop a diagnosable mental illness Mm -hmm. and on the opposite side of that if you don't take it seriously and your belief is shaped by the culture is shaped by the you know uninformed people around you you make yourself more vulnerable to diagnosable mental illness. And if we understood that about belief and we believe that the scriptures informed our belief, that's huge. Mm. Um, if you go back to say um, the mid nineties in my life, so it was maybe five, seven <clears throat> years saved. Um, up until then, if I had have gone to see a medical professional, I would have been diagnosed with anxiety possibility of a bipolar or manic depressive it would have been at that stage I would have been up and down very relatively stable wore a good mask could hold down a job was married had two kids but inside was a total mess mm-hmm. um, so and exhausted because you're continuously trying to to manage the world around me yeah. um, so I now I know if I'd have gone to see my doctor at that stage and talked about all of that stuff, no, there was absolutely no way I was saying any of that out loud yeah. That madness was staying in my head. It wasn't coming <coughs> out because then I'd just be confirmed that I was mad. Yeah. Do, do you know that kind of way? Yeah. Um, but 
what, what happened to me was I had I had a belief system that, that I was a mistake that because my father told me I was a mistake um, I was a surprise but like it was a mistake in their eyes I went to a school system that told me I was stupid I came from the bad area so all of that combined made me very um, insecure very unstable um, I must have been stable enough though because Anne married me but anyway and she's a clever <laughs> girl she's a clever woman she actually do you know what it was she saw something in me that I didn't see hmm. that's the truth but she saw what was possible um, which is is a gift from God for to be able to see that in other people Yeah, because she helped me become what I could become and God used Anne to do that hmm. no doubt about long before we ever even knew Jesus yeah he was walking in that. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So, Brian, yeah. let me ask you, um, you know, you talked about the gospel giving you a new narrative mm -hmm. uh, to live from. You know, uh, I think I think it's important, though, for us to, to kind of flesh out, like, it's one thing to hear someone present to you a different possibility. <coughs> it's a whole other thing for us to take hold of that and to believe it. So, can you maybe unpack a little bit the... The role of the Holy Spirit. I mean, how how you know He opens our eyes to see that not only is not only is is this other possibility, you know, uh, well that it's real, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. It's it's one thing to hear it; it's another thing to go. This is real. Mm -hmm. And so, can you talk about that, and then what it means to walk that out once once the Holy Spirit opens your eyes? I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, for ha what happened for me was I read um, in the scriptures. So, so the narrative I had until I was in my mid thirties was I was a mistake, shouldn't be on the planet, uh, and I was taking up space that I that, that I didn't deserve to have. So, from that space, I was trying to live life. I read Ephesians two ten, and Ephesians two ten says that I'm God's handiwork. In the in the message, it says I'm His masterpiece, um, and He had created me to do good works, which He planned in advance for me to do. So either that's a lie or the narrative I'm living out is a lie. Yeah. Mm. It's as simple as yeah. that, okay? Yeah. Um, so I had to go, well, God, I, I don't believe God's a lawyer. Um, and I don't believe, uh, the, 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 the journey for me was, is that a promise for me? Not just a promise for Christians. Yeah. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. Like I was brought up in a world where Jesus died. Like I was brought up a Catholic, so we all knew we knew all about Jesus going to the cross and he died for the sins of the world. But that didn't include me because if I didn't do what I was supposed to do, I was still going to hell. Yeah. Are you with me? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. there's a difference. So so I'm still coming at the scriptures to some degree with like they are wonderful promises, but are they for me? Yeah. So you, your question, how do you walk that out? I walked that out day by day, Todd, because that thought never left me for years, and it kept knocking on the door. Mm. and saying no no the devil didn't leave me alone he didn't just go and go oh we got the truth I'll walk away now and leave him alone yeah. yeah actually in lots of ways it came harder yeah um, one of the practical ways I had to learn to do to step into that was about taking responsibility and taking responsibility as a husband and as a father because now I like God was opening my eyes up to what I was doing I would have thought Anne was very controlling all right um, but actually what was happening was she was taking up the slack for what I wasn't doing mm. right yeah, yeah. but when you give away control you give away responsibility in your life you can't actually give away responsibility you can only ever give away control 
Mm. Okay. So, and, and that's why even when I, and I've, I've met and walked with a lot of Christians who kind of like, oh, I think I was in a cult. It was like, but you didn't take responsibility for yourself in that situation. So it's like if we were all really responsible drivers, we wouldn't need a law to say wear your seatbelts. Mm-hmm. It becomes a control issue when we're not responsible. Does that make sense? Yeah. So mm-hmm. when we take that into our spiritual walk, for me, it's like I had to take that from from spiritually. Okay, oh God, I believe that you're saying I'm 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 here for a reason. Psalm 139, I think it says that you knit me together in my in my mother's womb. So those two scriptures were like light bulbs going off in my head. And that was an amazing day. But it took years for that to become the space where I lived from. And that was decision after decision after decision of Anne saying something and me going, wanting to go back into the victim mode or the kids asking for something and me going, wanting to go ask your mammy and go, oh, no, I have to make a decision here (laughs) and live with the consequences. Okay, mm-hmm. so, and, and it was in practical things. It wasn't like, you know, this wasn't all rocket science. This was like, can I go out the garden and play? Do you know what I mean? It wasn't mm-hmm. going to go out in the street and play with the other kids or can we go here or can we go there? And then being willing to become a man, basically. Yeah. Because up until then, I was still a child in a man's body. So, so there, there are a couple of things that I, I'm, I'm hearing you kind of talk about. One, you know, you talked about... Uh, your your background and you know growing up you felt like you know jesus died for the sins of the world but not for me right because mm-hmm. i if i don't do right then i'm gonna you know and so um so there's this invitation that you received to for god's radical grace right which says yeah. that that i am i am loved i am uh cared for i am seen i am known just like i am but there's also this thing where you're talking about God inviting us to take full responsibility for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about how those things balance, like how those things work in our lives? Because I think those are powerful things in terms of our, our mental health even, right? Mm-hmm. If I can live in that, that radical place of grace where I know that, that I am loved even on my worst days. Yeah. But I also understand that there, that alongside that, God invites me to take full responsibility for, you know, well, for my calling, right? Yeah. For for my life, for the things that have happened, for the things that are going on. To, to you know, can you talk about how those work together to to make us whole? Okay, for me, it's 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 um. I think up until I got that revelation, I lived in condemnation. That's the best way I can try and describe it. Yeah. After that, when I lived in the grace space, it was the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And, and my experience with the conviction of the Holy Spirit has been not so much that it's sin, but it's like, there's a better life for you, Brian. There's, walk, this is the way, walk in it. Okay, the scripture tells us that. Finding that way sometimes can be quite difficult. Well, uh, my experience has been, I think I'm going the right way and then I'm in a cul-de-sac and I have to turn around and go back. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So um, m- what I will say though is in all the times I've done those and made those mistakes, if I was doing it and my heart was in the right place trying to follow God, it's never been an issue. Even though I made total mistakes, I made awful yeah. messes of things. God's always covered it. He's always kind of minded me in it and minded the other people that I really could have damaged. Um, and, and trying to operate in that role of a pastor as well, 
just that responsibility like if I if I mess this up it's not just me mm-hmm. there's a heap of people coming behind us yeah um, sorry we don't have a big heap of people but there's, a, there's people there's yeah. lives um, so sorry to have them a bit lost here no. your question was so what happened then was when I stepped into that place of of the realisation and the grace coming into my life and realising God's calling me to grow and mature as a believer. That's what we'd say in the church. We're looking for people to mature right. as believers, right? So what's what's a mature believer do? They take responsibility for their lives. They make choices that they follow Jesus when it's not convenient. Because mm-hmm. that's the thing. When when I'm not really following Jesus, I'm doing what's convenient. I'm, I'm letting go of the long term for the immediate gratification. I'm letting go of what's possible for me for to just have the easy road right now. Um, and, and Jesus said, take up my cross every day and follow him. Sometimes taking up a cross isn't convenient. It's not nice, it's not easy. Um, but what's happened is the days where I haven't followed him, where I've done stuff, and, and listen, I'm, I'm human, right? I outright sin sometimes. And um, I know you American pastors don't sin, but yeah, we, I'm Irish. we don't do that. You don't do that, stuff yeah. like that. But I'm Irish, okay, so we sin. Um, so sorry, I'm just speaking for me. I can't speak for the other Irish pastors. But um, but like when, if it's outright sin, it's it's in some ways, it's it's one set of circumstances, and then it's easy for the Holy Spirit to convict me of that. Okay, and and it's never been condemnation. It's always been Brian. You know better. You know what I mean. Go confess. Mm-hmm. Do what you have to do. Get yourself sorted out. Um, my big problem over all the years of my life, and the big sin that that the besetting sin that's never let me go is porn pornography and it's mm-hmm. huge and it's really bad for my mental health okay and it's not even that I actually go and do anything with it but there's a narrative there's a story in the back of my head and there's mm-hmm. stuff in the back of my head that never leaves mm-hmm. do you know what I mean and it yeah. just yeah. plays I don't need to go and look at a computer I have like loads of stuff in my head that I can play over and over and over um, so God's always moved me away from that and tried to move me into it and when and I said this at the workshop the other day sin's really bad for your mental health because it stresses you out and leaves you full of anxiety yeah yeah leaves you full of anxiety. So like, I mean, you're a pastor, you're after being doing something you shouldn't be doing. What if everybody finds out? Yeah. Right, do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so my confession partner is Anne, okay? So it's not fun going telling your wife not to sin and in that kind of area, but that's 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 what I do. Probably not supposed to talk about it in this, am I? That's I don't okay. know. That's okay. good. Yeah. I don't know, what, where, whoever's listening to this, you don't have to be like me. This is maybe a bit better than this. But um, when I get it wrong, and it's not necessarily sin, it's the same conviction with the same grace from the same God. Mm. It's not different. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because he's saying to me, Brian, just walk this way because it's a better way. So you're sinning, just walk this way, it's a better way. You made a mistake and you went off there, just walk this way, it's a better way. This is the way I was trying to call you. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's from a place of love, it's from a place of grace, it's from a place of restoration, it's from a place of, there's an adventure here for you. Yeah. And if you, if you go that way, and besides that, else, there's a healthier way for me to walk if I'm walking God's way, because the sin is going to, or the making the mistake or whatever, it's going to pull me away from that place of peace, that right. place of knowing I'm secure. Because I don't know if you've ever like walked away like that. You obviously haven't. You're really ho- these are really holy looking <laughs> people. So, but like when, if I walk in the wrong direction or if I walk away from God on purpose, I feel very vulnerable again. I go, I get all of that anxiety comes back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if I keep my head on Jesus, if I keep me, my head full of him, if I keep my head full of, not necessarily church, because it's been a real, I don't know what it's like for you, Mel, but, but it's a real difficult road for me for the first few years to try and separate 
my relationship with God mm -hmm. from my job and my mm -hmm. role as a pastor. Yes. It, it, they got very confused on me when I became a pastor. Mm -hmm. I don't even use that word very much, to be honest with you, because um, I think I'm just scared of it. But um, I'm what it carries. But it's like I had to learn to keep the two of them separate. And there's practical things I do for that. Like I have my own devotions that I do that have nothing to do with what I'm preaching on. Or, mm -hmm. And I, and do you know what I mean? And try and keep it very separate and, yeah. and have my own little bit of time with Jesus. And, and, and then from that space, hopefully serve the church. Um, where was I going with that? I'm a bit lost. But if I if I step out of that and I lose that, as as a pastor, there was that extra responsibility to get everything right. Right. To yeah. not, you know what I mean? Like you just can't. You can't afford to make mistakes. You can't afford to get it wrong. Um, and that's rubbish. Yeah. Sorry, I think that's just utter rubbish because I'm human and I'm going to screw up. Well, but do you know what I mean? So, so, yeah, you're good. With that said, um, you know, so many pastors, they <clears throat> they live with this tension between like, like, okay, I know that there are mental health professionals. There are therapists, clinicians who can help people. But I grew up in a tradition where we really downplayed the need yeah. for yeah. therapists and counselors mm -hmm. and psychologists yeah. because if we just prayed through, we'd be okay. The yeah. Holy Spirit can do all that. Yeah. And here's the thing. I really do believe the Holy Spirit can bring. Amen. Yeah. But I also know that there's some things, because I've talked to people that have sat in my office and they feel shame or guilt about mm -hmm. the fact that they're struggling with a mental health issue. Um, and they've prayed about it and prayed about it and mm -hmm. prayed about it and prayed about it. Yeah. And I've, I've told those people, if you could... If you could have prayed this away, wouldn't you have prayed it away by now? Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, yeah. okay, let's go see a counselor. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, but even for pastors, there's this there's this um, perception, um, whether it's internalized or external, that we have to be perfect. That yeah. we can never have a problem. We can never mm. um, have you know any kind of issues in our life, and certainly not the instability in air air quotes instability yeah. of mental health. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because there is still a stigma about it in our world. I think so. <clears throat> how do pastors um, lead people? Because your story is not your your story is not abnormal. No, uh, what I'm you not unique at all. No. Yeah. Well, so, how would a pastor um, lead? people who are struggling with the same thing you're struggling with like that just the tension of your self-perception and who you are and i think the answer is in the phrase you just used how would they lead them how do you lead anybody anywhere mm -hmm. you walk the path yeah go do it mm -hmm. if you're struggling go get help yeah it's much easier to sit with someone and go do you know what i think a therapist might help you mm -hmm. i have one that's really yeah. good <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah and and when and when it comes to, say, mental health, right, and, and again, a lot of the work we do, we kind of a stigma reduction. Um, but there's there's a whole thing about, like, if I had somebody sitting, whether I'm a pat, yes, just, just say as a pastor, I'm sitting in my office, and Todd, you come into me, and you're like, I think I've got a physical ailment. I think, what is it, Todd? I think I might have cancer. Do you know what I mean? I'm not sure. I'm after praying and praying and praying, but I have this big lump hanging out of the side of my body, mm. and I don't know, you know, it's gone yeah. black and bloody, 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 blah. I would be going to you, I think it'd be a good idea to go to a hospital like, and get that checked mm -hmm. out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you know? We'll pray, and I pray for healing, and I believe Jesus heals. I know, I know, I've seen Jesus work miracles. Do you know what yeah. I mean? But, like, I still go to a doctor. Right. Like, Jesus heals doctors practice medicine. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jesus heals therapists practice therapy. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, so... My my car needs a service. I pray over it, but I still bring it to a mechanic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. 
that's the thing. If we just looked at mental health, the exact same on the same level mm-hmm. playing field as all the rest of our life, we wouldn't have the stigma issue. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. And I'm, I might have said it on this podcast. I know our staff has heard me say it, and I tell it to people all the time, but I, I go to therapy. Mm-hmm. And um, and when I first went, the, my therapist, like I sat down and was like, okay, what, what, what's going on? I was like, yeah. well, I'm a pastor, and I'm a dad, and I'm a husband. And he was like, okay, so is there something going on that you need help working through? And I was like, well, no, not really. Nothing, nothing specific. And he was like, so my job is to find a problem so I can fix it. And I was like, sort of. <clears throat> but I just told him, I said, I really look at this as an oil change. Like, I don't get yeah. my oil changed because yeah. my engine stops. Mm-hmm. I get my oil changed to keep my engine from stopping, right? Yeah, yeah. And <clears throat> so for me, it's more routine maintenance. And there's times I go in and sit down with my therapist. Like, mm-hmm. the last time I sat down with my therapist, it was like, what's going on? I'm like, man, life's pretty good. Like, yeah. I feel like we're firing all cind- cylinders. God. And mm-hmm. yeah, and he was excited for me. Yeah. We prayed together. And those other times I go in, I'm like, man, this life sucks right now. <clears throat> you know, yeah. I'm dealing with this with my kids mm. or my church or a person yeah. or whatever. Mm. And, um, but it's, it's a healthy place for me, yeah. but I was shocked the first time I set up for my platform when I was mm-hmm. preaching that I go to a counselor. It was like, oh gosh, what's this, what's going to happen? And I had so many people come up to what's me wrong afterwards. With <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I had so many people come up to me afterwards and say, thank you for saying that. Yeah. It's um, freedom. Oh, freedom. oh, yeah, absolutely. It's pure freedom. Yeah. So if there was a pastor who maybe has been struggling <clears throat> um, and they've, they've been resistant to going to see a therapist or a counselor, what would you, what, what advice would you give them? What would you tell them to do? Go. That's <laughs> it. Like, I mean. I just set it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, just go. I mean, look, if you, if you, if you were, if you couldn't hold food down, if you had like a, a broken leg, yeah. you just go to a doctor. Yeah. Um, like I've gone to my therapist and I go in and he's going, how are you doing? And I'm going, I'm great. And then he go, okay, so let's, what's that like? And what's this like? Mm-hmm. And before I know where he are, he's, he's unearthed stuff that's in, that I've kind of buried. Yeah. yeah. Do you ever go to a doctor for blood tests and then they tell you stuff you didn't know you had? Mm-hmm. Do, do you know, like yeah. I, I came in here with no problems and now I've got this and I've that and now the other. <laughs> like I thought I was grand. Now he's telling me I'm obese and I'm this <laughs> and I'm that and the other, right? So sometimes it's the same with therapists. They go in and I, and like, I'm feeling okay, but actually, if I was being really honest, even and this mm-hmm. is a part of it as well, there's a part of us, where there's a part of me that hides from my problems. Yeah, yeah. and I just kind of go put them in a box. Um, please, Jesus, they stay in that box, and I don't have to deal with them, yeah. and they'll go away. Yeah. They just fix themselves and go right. away. Mm-hmm. And it's usually with other people, to be honest with you. Okay, so um, maybe they'll leave and go to a different church or whatever, but whatever it may be. Um, and then I go and I talk and it's like, yeah, you seem a bit edgy or you dis, or I might just, my guy's really good. Like I went into him one morning, I had canceled two appointments and I went into him one morning and I said, the next appointment I said, this now must be one of your worst clients. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I just keep canceling appointments. And he went, okay, let's unpack that a little bit. And we spent an hour where that narrative have come from in my mm. head. Yeah. Where I was failing as a client. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And how that was actually just coming from loads of other places in life where I genuinely felt I was failing. Mm. But I didn't even realise I was feeling that way until I had the chance to stop. Like, when do pastors ever get a chance to just stop and go, what is going on in my head? Yeah. What's yeah. happening in my heart? You know what I mean? I'm praying. Most, <coughs> most guys, well, in my world, so many guys walk and pastor. I walk and I pastor. Um, 
we, we would not have a huge amount of full-time pastors in Ireland. So a lot of them would be walking. A lot of them are holding their jobs. And some of them have terrible jobs, really mm. hard jobs. I'm blessed with the job I've got that I get to do something that I like and I love. And, and I even can see it as a ministry in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, but I've had awful jobs too, that, that, and I still was in ministry. Do you know the kind of way? So it, you just don't get time. Who goes up to the pastor and says, how are you, man? Mm-hmm, are you right. well? Can we do anything to help you? Most well, times you get someone knocking on your door, it's like, yeah. I've got a problem. Yeah, I need you to give to me. Right. Yeah. Well, and even if, they, even if they did come and say, hey, how are you doing? Oftentimes we don't <laughs> feel the freedom right. to, to talk. You to know, really to, tell to, them. To really tell them. Because if I really tell you, I've got to go rolling out that door. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and I think part of that is the same resistance that pastors have to going to see a counselor or a yeah. therapist. Mm-hmm. Is that going back to what you were saying earlier, there's this, this weight that we feel oftentimes to to be perfect, right? Mm-hmm. To, you know, and I think that if we could destroy that narrative in in pastors, uh, well, honestly, that pastors would be a lot healthier. Yeah. Uh, and we would be able to be people who walk alongside those that we shepherd rather than feeling like we have to, you know, somehow be above, a- them. above or above separated from, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a lovely scripture that talks about us comforting those with the comfort that we have ourselves mm-hmm, received. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. And and I just know I just I can only speak for me, but I know for me when I'm sitting with somebody who's caught in in a mental health problem, who's caught in a sin problem, who's caught in a bad relationship problem, it's so much easier even to minister to them from a place of having got God's grace mm-hmm. in those situations. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Than to be the person over here who's perfect. <coughs> It was our slogan in our church is no perfect people allowed. That was our, that's our biggest value that we carry is like, because none of us are perfect. Mm-hmm. We all mess up. We all come from broken backgrounds and wherever. Um, and it's about how do we, how do we all together learn to be the body of Christ? Well, all the broken bits. I think hospital, like I think churches must be hospital, not like, not a, a showcase. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's where all the broken and the battered come and they get healed by Jesus. When that healing might be instantaneous, or it might take years. Yeah. In my case, it's still ongoing. It's not. I'm not fixed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm yeah. just learning yeah. to live every day, and I learn new things most days. I learn something new about me or about other people that I didn't realize before, or about God. Yeah. You never stop learning about God, do you? It's just like goes on and on and on and on and on. That's what that eternity thing is all about, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I know when we started, Michael had asked about the narratives and changing narratives and the gospel gives us a new narrative. Um, do you think that as pastors, shepherding people, uh, we naturally help them find a new narrative? Or do you think we need to shift some things to help them be more strategic about seeing the world differently and seeing themselves differently? My experience would be I have to be strategic with people. So what does that so look like? I, I take, I, well, with the people who are up for it, yeah. Because everyone's not going to be up for it. Yeah. Um, I said this might have been at the workshop here in Michael. Like I say to people sometimes, I think you're just you're just happy in your misery. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. they're, they're comfortable in that pain because they've lived in that pain for thirty years, forty years, twenty years, whatever it is. Um, and and change is scary. Mm-hmm. Change is mm-hmm. terrifying. Even with the Holy Spirit, actually, with the Holy Spirit, it's even more terrifying because He usually asks us to do more change. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, uh, and it's like, yeah. just trust me. Um, yeah. I had to do something with Anne many years ago, and 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 I remember saying to God, if if I have this conversation with Anne, our lives are going to be radically changed and never going to be the same again. 
more than likely she's going to walk out that door. And all God said to me was, so what if she does? And I was like, that wasn't the answer I was looking for. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I wanted him to go, you'd be grand, Brian. Don't mm-hmm. be worrying about it. But he didn't. He said, you're either going to walk this with me or you're not. Mm-hmm. And and that's some, my thing, I suppose, with other people is, I think everyone gets to a place in their life where God's going to put a question like that to them. Somewhere you're going to have to mm-hmm. make the choice. Yeah. Is it me and are you all in or are you just playing here? Mm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, this is probably not answering your question. Um, but I think if we can get alongside people, and, and the ones I've seen succeed in this are the ones that have, have known as soon as possible that a walk with Jesus isn't like um, a walk in the park. That take up your cross every day and follow me is real. It's not right. take up your bed of roses. It's not like, yeah. you know what I mean, pray and you're going to be rich and happy and, and we're just going to come in and heal your marriage without you changing and without you having to do mm-hmm. any work. I'm going to come in and heal your and get you a new job. Like we, we had a girl in, in a home. This wasn't, we weren't even pastor and we were leading a home group in our other church, the last church. And, and this girl every week came for about four months and said, we'll just pray for a new job for me. So we were all praying for a new job for her. And then this night, I don't know, I must have been fed up or something. And I said, <laughs> how many jobs have you applied for? And she said, none. I said, what? <laughs> she said, I said, have you got a CV done? A, a curriculum, I don't know what you call it over yeah. here. A resume. She said, no. I said, I'm not praying for you for a job anymore. Get out, mm-hmm. go away, like do something and then we'll pray. Um, so actually I was, I was working as a coach at the time. I was coaching people. I said, I'll sit with you. I'll put a CV together. Do you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. we did the practical bits and then we start praying again. And yeah. she got a job in two months. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? But like, yeah. there's this, I think for, from a pastoring point of view, I come at people like, you have a role in this, I have a role, but I am not responsible for your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I cannot take responsibility for your life because if I do that, you're going to hate me because I'm going to be controlling your life. I'm not your policeman. Yeah. Well, you know, I think about, you know, the Apostle Paul saying, I discipline my body like an athlete so mm-hmm. that after preaching, I myself might not be disqualified. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and so, uh, you know, I think we we can often dismiss or forget that there's a discipline involved in all of this, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's, you know, conforming our minds, right, to the patterns, you know, yeah. not yeah. being conformed to the patterns of the world, yeah. but being be transformed. transformed. There's yeah. a discipline involved in that, whether it mm-hmm. be... Uh, a habit in our bodies, the physical yeah. bodies that we've developed. There's a discipline involved with that. But the the purpose of the disciplines is always to lead us into joy and freedom. Yeah. But there's a there's a journey to get there. Mm. And I think that we can often forget that. Um, yeah. And or just because discipline is hard, we quit early. Mm. We quit before we reach that point of breakthrough. Yeah. I think Todd just answered your question that I scared it all thanks, around. Thanks, Todd. Yeah, I appreciate sure, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thanks, Todd. You got me there with that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you, if you take responsibility for someone else's life, either in a therapeutic concept, context or a pastoral context, God. you deprive them of the thing that leads to mental, if, mental if well-being, right? If you're taking responsibility for someone else's life in a therapeutic context, you should be sacked. Yes, <laughs> okay. No, let's, let's hover over that for a second, because one of the things that you said that I really want you to underline for the listener is that um, you had said that the person has to be willing to change narratives or willing to improve their mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they are not, you actually can't help them. Or at a, least desire to change. 
Yeah. They they desire a different life. You need people. Your your slogans every life made different, mm-hmm. okay? But you can only help people make their lives different. You can't make their lives different for mm-hmm. them. Well you can, but it usually makes it worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right? Very hard to make someone's life better if they don't want it to be better. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's easy enough to make someone's life worse. You can be miserable to them, you can be mean <laughs> to them, you can really create bad circumstances, you can right. throw things at their at their windows, you can make their life worse. But like you can go up to people with the most amazing gift and they can just refuse a point blank. Yeah. I think that's what the Holy Spirit does to so many of us so many times. He comes up with this lovely gift, but it comes wrapped in work or it comes wrapped or mm. it's an amazing opportunity, but it comes wrapped in a hard conversation that has to be had. Wow. Uh, that's good. Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. yeah. Um and and it's it's how do we how do I as as a human being forced as as a husband, a dad, and then as a as a pastor. How do I unpack that gift that God has given me and walk through it and then help other people see that there is a way to walk in it? And and that's been my journey. That still is my journey. It's not yeah. it's not over. Um and please God, till the day I go to be with Jesus, it'll never be over. Whether I'm operating as a pastor or not, I think that's my call as as a follower of Jesus is to show people there is a gift. But sometimes the gift comes and it's not like I'm sipping out of a bottle of water. But it's in plastic and I had a lid on it. The water is beautiful, but if I don't open the lid, I can't drink any of it. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like you have to, and sometimes, this is the truth, sometimes I have to get other people to open the bottle because I have arthritis in my hand so I can't grip. Um, and sometimes when, when the Holy Spirit gives us a gift, we need to get support from other people to go and do it. Yeah. As a pastor, if I don't have support, I will fall flat on my face. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Because mm-hmm. it's just the burden. I don't believe we were ever meant to carry this burden alone. You know, it's 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 God. Jesus said, "My burden's light." You know what I mean? Take my yoke upon you, and my burden is light. Um, but but a yoke was usually spread between two cows, not mm-hmm. one. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So the burden was spread, um, and like God has put people in my life. It's my choice whether I actually access it or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think God. I I now I can't say this. This is in fact this is just me thinking that. Um, I think there isn't a pastor alive who doesn't have people he can he can reach out to for help if he yeah. needs it. Yeah. It's whether he can, in his own head, get himself to actually make that call. Yeah. Or put a hand out mm-hmm. and go, do you know what? Right. I'm, I'm not doing well here. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm struggling with this. I don't know how to do this. Mm. Even, and I'm the worst at this, I'm being honest, which is like, I'm lousy at asking for help. And I'll tell you, my wife, sorry when I keep saying that, Mel knows her, Todd knows her too, Michael knows her, but... but like she'll tell you, I'm like if there's stuff to be done in the church, I just go and do it, rather than ask someone to help. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Yeah. Which is not good leadership, and I know it's not. But there's a part of me that just keeps falling into that same trap. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not good. But I have learned when it comes to be my physical health and my mental health, I need to just put my hand out and ask. And and sorry, I know I keep talking. Yeah, I'm you're sure up now. The stigma bit, just to get back to that for for, mm-hmm. for pastors. Um, can I just share in, in 2013 I had a breakdown in work I was working in a prison complex and you don't need to know all the details except it wasn't a pleasant experience and, and it led me into a very dark place for about six months and we had only planted the church two years before that um, and I was like I used to go to bed on a Saturday night wishing I was dead and waking up on a Sunday morning to go and preach a message um, mm. and God's grace was amazing in it. 
but it didn't have to be that way. He had given me opportunities before I had that breakdown to get help, to reach out, but I didn't. And I didn't because of that story in my head that hmm. I am a mental health professional, for God's no. sake, I can't even cope. Never mind, I'm also a pastor and I can't cope. And I have Jesus and I can't cope. Mm. It's that. Yeah. And it's and part of that, can I just say as well, is a pride issue. Mm-hmm. And it's about and, and I think as church leaders we can get caught up in that role or that title and stop being human and stop being stop allowing ourselves to be vulnerable and think that we have something to prove to the world. Mm. Um and we don't have anything to prove. Yeah. We genuinely mm. I don't think we have anything to prove. I think what we have to prove is that God can use someone as messed up as me. And he still loves me. Hmm. I want to help our listeners um, be clarified on what I think are a couple points of your perspective that help allow you to have the courage to take up this responsibility each day as both a pastor and a mental health professional. And so you had mentioned how God will cover your messes, right? Like, and so it seems to me that you have a clear biblical awareness, not just understanding, but daily awareness of the sovereignty of God and of God's grace, such that you are set free to take responsibility. This really is the difference between um, trying to land an airplane for the first time in a flight simulator versus a real airplane. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, And it's because you are surrendering, and, and, and I, this is one of the things I want to, I, I really want to know your answer to this, is the church, when we, the language that we use around surrender, how do we make it so precise that we don't communicate a lack of responsibility, but rather we communicate uh, a freedom from the consequences if we do our best and we fail? Because we really do, in some sense, have a freedom of those consequences, right? Because we also have a freedom from the credit if we do well. Like, it doesn't ride on us one way or another. And understanding that, in some sense, it allows you to take responsibility. It sets you free to take responsibility. Because I think that one of the things that keeps people from taking responsibility, more than anything, is a spirit of fear, even more so than just say it's a simple laziness. So will you speak a little bit about how the church talks about surrender um, and whether or not these points on your perspective concerning God's sovereignty and his grace, how has that played into your ability to have courage and march forward knowing that you have issues and that you, you know, and still being able to help other people? Okay. I have about five different answers going on in my head. Okay. I don't think God's sovereignty and me making decisions are either or. I think they're part of the same thing. I think in a Western concept we have, it's either black or it's white. Um, it's either God is sovereign or I'm making choices and I live out of that. My, my personal experience of God has been, God is sovereign, but, but I, he has still given me choices to make. The road is narrow and the gate is, is narrow to get in. But I, I've, I've experienced God letting me through that narrow gate, through salvation, through Jesus into a wide open field of mm. adventure. Um, and and that the more I surrender to Jesus, the more he empowers me to live. And the more he empowers me to live, the more choices I have to make. But no matter what way I make that choice and no matter what way I fall or stand, I'm still in his hands. 
like of a lid of a cu- of a thing. No matter what way that goes, it's still it's still in in the hand, and that's where I am with God, um, and that's what gives me the freedom to make choices, the courage to make choices, because you're right, fear stops so many of us. Perfect love casts out fear, okay? But we go perfect love casts it out, and then we go back and we pick it back up again and put it back in again, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like the, the two biggest fears most people have are the fear of rejection and the fear of failure. Both of them have roots in your childhood. Fear of failure because you've been told you can't do that, you can't do that. You're on the roof, don't jump off the roof, you can't jump off the roof. You can. You're going to break two legs, but you can jump off. Yeah. But we're told you can't. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and that narrative just goes on and on and on and on. And then eventually you get to a place where I can't. Mm-hmm. So that's your fear of failure. Fear of rejection is about conditional love. It's about love at home is conditional. It's like, if you behave a certain way, you're okay. That was, that was my picture of God as a child. If I behave a certain way, I'm acceptable. If I don't behave a certain way, then I'm not acceptable. The gospel tells me that Jesus died for me when I wasn't acceptable. Mm-hmm. So how can I not be acceptable now, even if I mess up? Yeah. Even as a pastor, if I mess up, how can I not be acceptable to God? Yeah. I know we're called to a higher standard. I, I do understand that. And we're called to study and show ourselves approved. And, and we will answer for what we do. Um, but I think God's grace is just amazing. Yeah. I really do. And again, Michael, I'm not even sure I answered your question. But like, <laughs> I just think God's grace is amazing. And Todd, I think you said something earlier. And there was, a, there was an answer going around in my head about how do we change the narrative sometimes? Something we use with people who aren't believers, okay? but I think works with believers as well but you can do this with non-believers is if they have a narrative about their life asking them three questions one is it logical what you believe about yourself alright two is it true is there evidence to back it up is there facts to back this up and three is it helpful so let me just give you one example mm-hmm. of that the school system I went to told me I was stupid because I came from a certain geographical area alright so is that logical because you come from it so you come from Indiana so you must be stupid <laughs> do, do, do you know what I mean? Well, like you what come good from, can come from Nazareth? Yeah, yeah exactly, right? Yeah. So you come, you come from a certain area. So is it, is it true? Is there facts? I'm sure there's probably a few clever people have come out of Indiana and done mm-hmm. things. Yeah? Yeah. Right? So you have that. You've done facts to break it. And then is it helpful? So is it actually helpful in your, in your life, in your walk through this life, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian? Is it helpful? So as a pastor, what you believe in yourself, I have to be perfect. Okay, is that logical? It's all through scripture, it tells me I'm going to mess up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everywhere. All through it. Do, do you know what I mean? Look at the twelve apostles, for God's sake. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. If Jesus picked them, would you have picked them? No. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Like, would you pick me? I wouldn't have picked me if I was God. I don't know why. You still don't know why he picked me. But obviously, he has a plan. So it's not logical. It's certainly not true that I that I need to be perfect. Because, it, again, it's like, if I am perfect, who could I relate to? Yeah. Who could I lead? Who could I help? Who could I serve? How can you serve if you're perfect? And, and then is it helpful? No, absolutely not. It just boxes me, cuts me off from all kinds of blessings and challenges mm-hmm. because I live in this perfect bubble and I can't interact with other human beings. Yeah, and I think it's important for people when they hear you say, 
well, one of the tests that you run is whether or not something's helpful. That actually is not simply a kind of saccharine denial of reality. Nope. Like, whether or not something's helpful can sometimes determine or, or reveal whether or not it's true. And so this is, I think this is really useful and I'm curious your opinion on this. Uh, we don't have a full understanding of reality of what's around us, right? And so whether or not something's helpful can tell us whether or not it's in alignment with reality. A good analogy here is like, I could know nothing about my car, about internal combustion engines, nothing at all. Uh Um, But if I put chocolate milk into my gas tank, I quickly discover that that's not helpful. Mm. And that actually tells me something about how the engine works. Without ever studying the engine, I just know that because it's not helpful, it's connected to an untruth about the engine. And Mm so, yeah, I mean, I think that's really stood out to me when you said that because I think that, you know, when you're talking about whether something's logical, that's the, the order of the world, the logos. But it's, then you also have this, this uh, you can approach that obliquely through asking whether or not something's helpful and productive. And yeah, think of it from from a pace of you're you're trying to serve your community as a pastor. All right. So it's genuinely when you step back and think, I have to be perfect at doing this. Is that going to be helpful for you trying to? trying to fulfill that yeah. calling yeah like what are you going to do what are you actually going to take a chance yeah. on where are you going to step out i'm never even going to tell anyone the gospel because if we don't do a perfect there's no point in doing it mm-hmm. D- does that make sense mm-hmm. yeah i'm never going to get up and preach a message because it's never going to be perfect all i have to do is listen to someone else's podcast and i realize all the things i said that were dumb mm-hmm. do, do you know yeah. so it's yeah. like it really is and and that whole the whole story that goes around in people's heads when they're in leadership, that they have to be perfect. The best leaders, and I've, I've, I've done research and followed lots of leaders in the world as well as in the church, but like the absolute best ones are the ones who go, I can't do this. I heard people that are smarter than me mm-hmm. and cleverer than me and better than me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's my strength, get other people to do the stuff I can't. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Don't fix your weaknesses. Focus on the things you're strong at and get other people to do the stuff that you're weak at. Because you're, you're and, and it's difficult in a small church. This is for the back 40, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So yes. so most of the people listening to this, I'm guessing, are going to be in a similar state probably to me. Yeah. Back 40 is interesting because I don't count on our church just before I came away and it was 40 people in their list. So I fit, <laughs> I fit, I fit, I fit, I belong. Yeah, but um, it's difficult to find, I know it's difficult to find other people to do stuff and, and you end up doing stuff that you don't. But one of, the, one of the traps I fell into then was that I stopped asking anybody to do anything because it was just easier to get the blink and yeah. done. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I just do it. And like, because they'll only let me down anyway. Um, but over the last while, I've, I've actually found a couple of people who I would have never dreamt of could do stuff. And they're so much better than me. Are. Hmm. So much better than me. And it just takes away. It just gives you that little bit of space to think, to pray, to to even become a little bit imaginative or creative about what you might do, or, or, or listen to God a little bit more. Just, yeah. You know? Yeah, it's yeah. good. But um, yeah, so I, I I genuinely know what it's like trying to juggle all the things. You're the administrator. You're the building supervisor. You're the you're the preacher, the worship leader, the the greeter. You know what I mean? You sit out yeah. the chairs. You're doing everything. And you're out cutting the grass if you have grass. Yeah. I, I get it. But um, but if we can stop long enough to think, I don't have to be all things to all people. 
God is all things to all people. We had this conversation the other night, didn't mm-hmm. we? Where I said, the greatest freedom I ever got was when I read the scripture that said, Jesus said, I will build my church. Yeah. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. My job is not to build church. My job is to build my family. My job is to make disciples. Yeah. Jesus' job is to build the church. Yeah. So if the church stands or fails, it'll be on Jesus, not on me. That doesn't take me away from the responsibility of the role that I carry in it, but it takes a lot of the pressure off. Mm-hmm. Success and failure isn't down to me. And whatever success and failure is supposed to be when it yeah. comes to a church context. Yeah. Do, do you know, like, how do mm-hmm. you even measure yeah. that? What, what is, I know it's like bums on seats and how much money is in the offering box. Mm-hmm. That's for a lot of people. Well, I'm both of them and kind of failing miserably. So, <laughs> but I've seen people's lives radically changed for Jesus. Yeah. yeah, I've seen people's lives radically changed for Jesus who don't come to our church anymore. The minute they got themselves started there, they went somewhere else. And that's that's a bit of a hit to take as well when you're running a small church. Mm-hmm. But God gives you grace for that too. And you get there, you know. But it's like, yeah. I think there's freedom in realising we're not supposed to be perfect. We're not supposed to do everything. And let Jesus run his own church. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a lot easier in the long run. So I want to I want to um, kind of take this full circle for the this wrap up question here. Um, at the beginning of this podcast, I had said that I wish more pastors were mental health professionals and more mental health professionals were pastors. Here's why I said it. I want to present to you an observation, and I want to know whether you think this is true. And if it is true, what does that mean for the church, and what does that mean for the profession of mental health? The observation is that as a culture decays that which was considered wickedness wickedness because it has a connection to responsibility because it has a connection to moral agency as a culture decays the things which were considered wickedness enter the dsm and you can maybe unpack Mm, the dsm for people they enter the dsm as mental illness and they're stripped of their moral agency Mm -hmm. and then as a culture continuously decays as it decays further they actually exit the dsm and become affirmable identities Mm -hmm. and i that to me looks like what it looks like for a sin to possess you and to and to transform you into the kind of being that would really rather spend an eternity separated from god than be exposed to the light of the truth let's say Mm. do you agree with that observation and if that's true, uh, what does that mean for us as pastors? And what does that mean for the profession of mental health? Can we still trust it? <laughs> okay. And this is the wrap up question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The DSM, if you don't know what it is, is the Diagnostic Statistical oh Manual. Thank you very much. Okay. The way that's created is a bunch of psychiatrists get together, usually every year. They talk about the symptoms people arrive with in their surgeries, and then they decide they're going to put a name on it. Okay, that's that's how that is. That's how that's right. put together. Okay, um, things that were wickedness, which we would have considered wickedness, have gone into the DSM. They have gone out of the DSM and now have become part of normal culture. Right. I'm not going to name some of them, right? But that's the reality of it. Um, and that will continue to happen because we live in a fallen world. And like when you look at what's happening across our culture, even around um, transgenderism and all kinds of stuff, and I'm not just going to pick on one thing, 
I just did. I didn't mean to, but like, there's so many topics out there. We can go across the board. Right. All right. Um, and it's now normal to be X, Y, and Z, where 50 years ago it would have been wickedness. Then it was a mental illness. But now it's just like, oh, now we're enlightened. And we just realize, like, we're all, you know right. what I mean? Mm -hmm. Live and let live. Um, and, and it's really funny, too, where, like, there's, um, you can correct me on this, man. I think there's a scripture that's like, what's wrong will be considered right, and what's right will be considered mm -hmm. wrong. Yeah. Which is, I think, what we're living in right now. Yeah. Okay? Um, you see kids who are who are who are together um, and they're getting married or whatever and, and they're young and culture is looking at them and going, what are you getting married for? Right. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Why don't you just hook up together and what are you getting, like, so what we would consider right is considered wrong by the world um, and that kind of stuff. So yeah, what's the answer to it? That's, there's no, the only simple answer to it is the gospel. Right. And I'm not like, how we take that gospel and wash the world with it is the big question. The answer is live more. That's the answer. Um, the Holy Spirit is the answer. Um, our part in how that operates is, I think, to take care of the people God has given us to increase that influence as much as we can. Um, so I have a very small group of people, but my job in, in that question is to empower them to know the truth, to have the truth set them free and to equip them to go and touch as many lives as possible yeah. and to, to move people towards Jesus, maybe not get them over the line. Maybe, you know, if my role is I meet somebody and they're at minus 10 and Jesus is at zero, if I can get them up to minus nine and I don't push them to minus a level, I'm kind of happy, do you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. like, um, our experience at home is that if you hear the word church, they go back down to minus 12, they just mm -hmm. run away from you. <laughs> so if we can bring them anywhere closer, right. It's but but what I see for me anyway is I'm trying to empower the people we have to go and impact their families, impact their workplaces, impact wherever, and just be living, breathing, walking examples of Jesus. And as I think it was Francis of Assisi said, if you have to say something, say it, but live it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think um, you know we can we can look at the you know at the kind of progression that we talked about with the DSM and and kind of give it a you know define it in a modern context but this is not a new phenomenon no. mm -hmm. just because we're no. able to to see it and quantify it mm. based on those things doesn't mean that it's a new phenomenon right and all throughout history this is the way things work right mm -hmm. and uh but alongside that i think you're right that the simple ample simple answer always does come back to the gospel and that it's the gospel that transforms people's hearts Mm -hmm. And that it's when our, once our hearts are transformed that our behaviors begin to transform as well. And, and so, you know, I think historically, if you look at like the Roman Empire, right, there were there were all kinds of things that were accepted in the Roman Empire yeah, that the that the gospel was in opposition to. Mm -hmm. But when God's people lived out the gospel, it's not just about what we say, but it is about how we live. Mm -hmm. When God's people lived out the the radical counterculture that the gospel calls us to live of of laying ourselves down and serving others, of of walking out the transformative process that the Holy Spirit invites us into and empowers in our lives that when we're really doing those things when we're living as the people of god in the world that has a transformative effect on the world around us as well and so it's not just a matter of us you know standing up and decrying what we 
think are the ills of culture. It's about us living out the cure. <laughs> and then, you know, that's attractive to people. I think if you can, if you can, um, if you can present something as an alternative that's better, that's attractive. I d and I don't mean, I'm not talking about just making mm -hmm. an attractive church. I'm talking about the gospel being attractive. Yeah. And a bit like you said, if, if people see lives that have been transformed and changed, we don't need to stand up and go to them. You're dirty rotten sinners and you're all mm -hmm. going to hell. We, we don't need to do that. We don't need, uh, well, in my context, can I, sorry, can I speak in my context? It would be very unhelpful for the gospel to me, for me to be standing up, decrying it and shouting against it and marching the streets about it. That's not going to change. Actually, that just puts us more on a fringe. Yeah. And we become the radicals and we become the, the lulas over there that are like against and hate everybody. And that just doesn't help in my context. What has helped in my context is people living out the gospel yeah. and, and sharing the resources God has given us without an agenda. And without an agenda, which is really difficult, without an agenda, like we want to help because we want to get you saved. Mm -hmm. We had to learn in our context, we had to learn to figure out how can we bless our community? How can we work with people who don't even hold the same value systems as us, but with their blessing our community? So how can we walk out blessing our community, loving people well, even though they may never accept Jesus? And actually, they may be against what we're trying to do, but we're going to do our absolute best to come alongside them and support them. And, and that's, that's radical. To me, that's radical gospel living. Yeah. Um, and that's what you do here as well. You, you, you reach out. You, I was looking at your egg hunting. Do you know what I mean? And even mm -hmm. when, when the lads were saying, like, you know, there's probably people in the room who came here because of an egg hunt. Mm -hmm. Do you know, like, an egg hunt, it's, it's not very radical, I know, but it's, you're serving the community. How many egg hunts have you done? If one person gets to know Jesus because of a thousand egg hunts, it's still worth doing a thousand egg hunts. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. Because that one person's gone to heaven. Mm -hmm. And we're going to get to dance around heaven with them and, you know, be better than walking up the yellow brick road. We'd be on the gold road. So <laughs> it'd be like, it's, it's, it is about that. And when I got saved, I told everybody about Jesus. I was like, yeah, blah, 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 blah. I'm not getting saved. I'm really excited. Blah, 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 blah. It was like 10 years later when I was changed and I was walking and I had become a responsible adult and a mature believer. And I wasn't that mature at 10 years, but I was doing things. I was different. Yeah. That's when people started listening. That's when people started asking questions, but they watched and they waited. And like, that is easy. Talking is easy. Walking is where the, where the, the rubber meets the road and people get to see. Well, and the I reality. think there's I think there's something really significant in what you were saying there. You know, that it was it was 10 years into your walk with Christ mm. that, you know, and uh and so I think that there's a there's a real need for for us to as leaders number one to be patient with the people that that we shepherd, mm -hmm. but then also to be patient with ourselves and with the work that God is doing in us. It mm -hmm. it may not happen as quickly as we think it ought to and but but God's committed to the work. Um and then I think too, you know, uh, that, you know, well, just that that transformation is the testimony, right? And and yeah, and that that's going to, I mean that that speaks so loudly to the people 
that we are in community with. And but if we are if we're hiding all of that stuff, mm. if we are you know living behind a, a curtain and behind a facade and don't ever allow those things to be seen, well, then 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 God isn't getting the glory for the things in our lives that that He should be getting the glory for. Mm. Mm-hmm. Scripture says they'll know us by our love for one for another. Yeah. Okay, but that's not that I'm going to tell people I love you. That's letting people see that I love you. Yeah. Do you know? Mm-hmm. And that we love each other and then out of that love that we're loving other people. Man, that's really good. That's a it's a reflection of the word made flesh in some sense. And yeah. um and uh man, it Brian, it's been an absolute privilege to have you on. I'm not kidding when I could when I say I could actually probably ask you questions all day okay <laughs> um but uh I do have I believe, a flight to catch that actually yeah, <laughs> <I believe> that. <laughs> yeah but uh yeah we're gonna wrap this up it's it's been really good everybody todd mel brian thank you guys for being here thank you guys for listening to the back 40 leadership podcast and uh, we'll see you in the next episode thank you if you enjoy this content please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast You can also contact us at summitpodcasts.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and we will see you in the next episode.